Alright, are you ready, Brendan? I'm ready, Sean. Alright, let's do this. Welcome to There and Back Again. And again. I'm your host, Brendan. And I am Sean. Today we are going to be talking about The Two Towers Part 2. This is Part 4 of 6 out of the overall Lord of the Rings trilogy, our shared number one in our top ten movies. So this one starts with the journey from Edoras to Helm's Deep for the people of Rohan being led by King Theoden with Aragorn and Eowyn. And our, our trio, as we say, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas. So that's where we'll get started. What do you, what do you want to start us out with, Sean? Oh man, I, you know, we we left off last time talking about obviously the finishing scene in part one with Faramir's introduction and him meeting with or kind of capturing Frodo and Sam. Yeah. Really. So just kind of hearkening back to that a little bit, but highlighting it in part two here. But I feel like one of the standout characters in this one for me was was Faramir and I feel like he kind of stands out a, a little bit for the rest of the series too but particularly highlighting for him part of his journey so far in this was and I love how the extended edition brought into focus his relationship with Boromir and yeah. with his father that's touched on more in in Return of the King as well but really just introduced a different side of the men of Gondor in I guess so to speak a part that the corruption has not touched in a way, you know, showing his yeah. true honor and his his humility and his patience. You know, he doesn't just make a quick decision on what to do with Frodo and Sam in this one and really takes the time to consider and question and see their, if they have honor in themselves and, and where their hearts are, are at and if they've been corrupted. And so I thought it was a great introduction for Faramir. And there's a lot that's not said about him that's spoken a lot more in depth in the books about his character, but I think they did a good job and with the extended version highlighting who he really is and, and his character. Yeah, and I you know, as it's been a while since I've read the book, so I don't remember exactly what the, the main differences are. I know that I think Faramir in some ways was another character that book lovers had a, a problem with the way he was portrayed in the movie. Like you said, the extended edition does kinda help shed a little bit more light on that. You know, but I don't think that he was as, you know, he starts out kind of like seeming like a bad guy. Like he's not, he's captured Frodo and Sam and they're, he's trying to take them, especially once he figures out what they have, you know, that they right. have the ring. And, um, but then we obviously see that turn around before the end. But yeah, I love that extended in Osgiliath where with Boromir and, and Faramir. And then when Denethor comes in and they're just, you know, like, can you not just give us a moment's peace? And you see the love between them as brothers, and then mm -hmm. you see the complicated relationship between Denethor and how he clearly favors Boromir, who's you know the firstborn, and how he just doesn't really give Faramir anything. And so it does help inform you know why Faramir is the way that he is. You know he wants to show his quality because that's a you know a callback when Sam at the end says, you know, you've shown your quality the very highest. Right, right. That's a callback to when Denethor says that to Faramir, when Faramir offers to go 
to Rivendell instead of Boromir. He's like a chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor, to show his quality. Sure. And so I love, I love that. You know, I and I, I specifically wrote down like obviously Denethor is is horrible, but John Noble, the actor who plays Denethor, is so good. Oh, just brings it out so well. Yeah, I love that guy. Just his voice, like. He was the voice of Scarecrow in the Arkham Knight video game, and he was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so good in that. And we're about to see him again pretty soon in season two of Severance. Really? Did I just spoil that? I feel like oh, we are. I mean, you, oh, I mean, you may hold have. on. I'm. I have to correct that and look that up now. I mean, you may have already told me that, but that's he. That's awesome, though. He's like the perfect type of actor yep. to be in yep. the show. He just cast. So. Oh man. That's awesome. We've got some greatness coming to that show. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, that was a cool, cool scene with with Boromir and Faramir, and obviously there's a little bit more throughout. You know, that kind of shows Faramir, like just in his grief, you know, with losing Boromir, and you know, we learn obviously Frodo and Sam learn that he's Boromir's brother, and that's how they learn that Boromir mm-hmm. is dead because you know they had already left at the end of Fellowship before he died. So, yeah, I'd kind of forgotten that that was how the first movie ended. But then the second movie, you know, picks up back on the Rohan story. So, yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of uncertainty, especially when you meet Faramir. And like you said, when he captures Frodo and Sam, we don't know who he is and what he's doing. And then he's got that, again, showing more of his discernment when he tells Frodo and Sam about finding their third member of their party down by the pool. Yeah. Gangly creature. Yeah, down by the Forbidden Pool and giving them the chance to speak on his behalf. Again, something that probably Denethor wouldn't have even done, which, you know, might be a reason why Denethor sees such a difference between himself and his son Faramir and doesn't favor him as highly. But I mean, I don't know if Boromir would have made the same decision. But again, I think just showing the patience and quality of Faramir's character and him not jumping in conclusions or being so quick to pull the trigger on that thing, so to speak. and. Well, the the quality, the good quality that we see in Faramir, and that he, you know, eventually finds in himself, you know, Denethor would not consider that to be good quality. quality. He would, right, you know, I'm right. sure he looks at him as he's weak. He's, you know, probably too too nice or whatever. But obviously, that ends up being the quality that serves the the purpose of of Frodo's quest and and everything. Just takes him a little bit longer to get to that point, I think, in the movies than than it does in the books. Yeah. And Faramir probably knows that too. You know, he, he knows his definition of quality is not the one that his, fa- his father's ever going to see. And yet he still tries. Yeah. You know, we see that later in the story too, but, but he, he knows, I think he knows in his heart, the decisions that have to be made and the good ones and the bad ones and ultimately what it would lead to. Whereas his father can't see that, I think because of where his heart is at. Yeah. But yeah, so we, yeah, with, with seeing him and the scenes with Frodo and Sam and Gollum takes us obviously from their capture in the caves and then ultimately to Asgiliath, which is like a pretty bleak area in itself. Yeah, yeah it's uh, basically, it used to be this nice, great city, and now it's, you know, mostly just kind of down to, to ruins at this right. point. And that's only getting worse with the Nazgul coming. The, the scene where Frodo you know, stops them from killing Gollum at the Forbidden Pool. And then, you know, he's like, he goes down to him and gets him to come with him, leading to, or a Smeagol really at that point, and he gets captured. And then that's that's kind of where we see the 
the return of Gollum after he had kind of purged that part of him. But right. then once he feels betrayed by Master, then it's like, all right, we're back. And yeah, gloves are off here. That, yeah, that scene, you know, where they're they're questioning him, he, you know, turns around and my that's such a great great scene and it's like Like, oh that's where bevo got it from yeah right so and it's it's sad because we did get just that little little bit of where smeagol was smeagol again Mm -hmm. he brings the the conies to frodo at the end of the the first part and but yeah now he's he's back and which of course ultimately leads to him conspiring to lead them right to Shelob down the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a quick, a quick turn. Like we don't get much of a taste of Smeagol, but yeah. But yeah. So we get taken from that. And then, yeah, I was trying to think through like the different, the different characters that I felt like were really just highlighted by this one, but the only other one that really stood out to me and obviously continues to stand out is Aragorn because there's quite a bit of focus we got obviously when they're on their way from from the kingdom of rohan well still in the kingdom of rohan but when they're on their way from the great hall to helm's deep and they're making that journey and then they encounter the, the wolves of isengard yeah you know and there's that that quick battle and then all of a sudden he's off the edge of the cliff mm-hmm. and you know obviously if you hadn't read the books before you're not sure if that's over for him mm-hmm there's hope there but then obviously accompanied with that you have his return so much about aragorn i feel like is highlighted in this one i loved even on the journey there so i guess going back a little bit from the the battle with the wolves of isengard but the short interaction that i think is only in the extended version between him and eowyn when she finds out that of his lineage but also mm-hmm. gives him the soup there's a bit of a comedic break there yeah. when he <laughs> <laughs> definitely doesn't like the soup that she's given yeah. but tries to be kind anyway and then he tries to dump it out but she turns around he turns and around and like, like dumps on his lap there's some yeah. great little like comedic moments like that you know yeah. throughout the the movies that just another thing that make them so great mm. i love the just that little conversation you know where eowyn you know brings up the fact that theoden had ridden or been in battle with Theoden or something or or he was like Theoden was just a, a child when the first time that he and Aragorn met but Aragorn was already like you know a full-grown man and mm-hmm. so Eowyn you know finds out that he's 87 I think 87 yeah. years old and you know she talks about how the he's one of the Dunedain descendants of Numenor and so for for this week's Tolkien tidbit here we go I'll, uh, I'll go in so Numenor was in the Second Age, which the Second Age is what ends in the last alliance of elves and men with the, the war against Sauron, where Isildur cuts the ring off Sauron's hand. But before that, at the beginning of the Second Age, there is a, an island realm that is newly formed in the middle of the, the Great Sea between Middle-earth and Valinor called Numenor. And it's a kingdom of men that starts with actually the brother of Elrond, um, Elros, because they were both half half man half elf and they could choose their which of the race to tether their fate to so elrond obviously chose elf and his brother chose to be a man so he was the first king of numenor and they were granted unnaturally long life i think he lived around 500 years and it it did 
kind of slowly dwindle over over time. You know, I think Aragorn, when all said and done, I think he ends up living maybe a little over two hundred years. But that's that 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 line of of men who are the ones that ended up founding the kingdoms of Gondor and then Arnor, the the kingdom in the north that no longer really exists. But the Dúnedain are kind of the remnants of that northern kingdom, so they kind of, you know, end up just kind of being these wandering rangers, and that's where Aragorn, you know, comes from when he enters enters our story. But that was, of course, after he was fostered by Elrond as a child in Rivendell, which is uh, which is why he's so close to the elves and so fluent in Elvish, and obviously how he and Arwen met, even though Arwen is significantly older than he is. That's all right. That's all right. She's yeah. And there is a, a in in reference to that as well, when Arond is trying to talk Arwen into sailing into the west to go to the Undying Lands instead of staying in Middle Earth just to to wait for Aragorn. You know, there's this through line of the topic of hope through the movie, how how little hope there is, but you know, there's always hope, as Aragorn tells the the little kid before the Battle of Helm's Deep. But you know, Elrond is basically saying there's no hope. Aragorn's going to die. If you choose to stay and be with him, like he's mortal, he's going to die, and then you're going to live, you know, a long time after that, you know, in mourning because you're alone. And he talks about uh, like the, when there's the vision of Aragorn after he dies, and Arwen's there with his body, and Elrond talks about like the the splendor before the breaking of the world, and uh, mm-hmm. the breaking of the world refers to that island of Numenor where Aragorn descends from because they they ended up doing some bad things and basically defy the Valar or the gods. The their island actually get ends up getting like washed over by the ocean and their people are mostly wiped out. And then the world is changed from flat to like a round world and Valinor is kind of removed from the circles of the world. So that's the breaking of the world that he is referring to. And I love all those just those little things that get sprinkled into these movies that are you know references to just the greater mythology of of that world you know the gods the valar you know there's another line that Ar- there's an arwen voiceover when brego is waking up aragorn after he falls mm-hmm. and she says may the grace of the valar protect you and you know those are these are things that without having read any of the books or the silmarillion like you would have no idea what any of that refers to and it's not really necessary for you know the story of the movie itself but it is fun for you know book readers and people just to oh yeah to hear those little things all of that world building is huge especially yeah. for these stories yeah just because it's not just world building within the films but it just goes so much deeper that there's so much more to explore mm-hmm. which i think is part of what makes these films so great is they're great on their own but if you want more there's more to be had outside of this oh, yeah you do have yeah. to be a reader, but it you can discover so much as you have over time and, you know, as we have in different ways. And so I know we talked about this before we started recording, but it's just so cool how those things are sprinkled in there. And so you know that these films are made by people who have a passion for the stories overall, for Middle Earth and everything that Tolkien wrote. But for anybody that hasn't watched it, it's just cool because it adds to the mysticism of the stories itself. So if you don't know what Valinor is or what the heck Arwen is saying... It's still like, oh man, I that sounds really cool. That sounds like something that's like way beyond just this world. But you know, 
I could go explore it later, but I'm just so enticed by what there is being presented as is. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, so a lot to get in there with Aragorn himself just being one of the Dunedain. You know, we're given a small taste of that in the Fellowship of the Ring with him being called Strider and he's a ranger and, but there's, there's so much more to it. So again, once again, thank you for that Tolkien tidbit. It's my pleasure. I don't know what we're going to do when we don't have those anymore, but. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to do like a Nolan Nugget or something. Oh my gosh, you just into the <laughs> trademark it. There it is. Uh, we'll we'll have plenty with each film we do, but oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I talked about Faramir and Aragorn being highlights for me as far as characters in this part of the story. But how about for you? Was there any anybody that stood out? I don't know if I would say there was any specific character that stood out. I I wrote down. Plenty of like little quotes and you know the just the whole like the, the Battle of Helm's Deep is so good. I mean, I know mm. like you know the elves come and that was not in the books, but and we were even talking about how like you know is it was it even necessary for the movie for the elves to show up? And you know we've got obviously Gandalf goes and brings the Rohirrim and they you know make quick work of the the Urukai after that, but. So yeah, I wouldn't say there's necessarily characters that stand out specifically, just the the action of, you know, you've got the the battle of with the wolves of Isengard, and then you've got Battle of Helm, Helm's Deep, and then you've got the scene in Osgiliath, like when the Nazgul come and, you know, Frodo nearly surrenders the ring to them, and right. there's a and lot of you... a lot of just in this part of the... Yeah, trilogy. the last march of the Ents. Yes, that too. Yeah, I, I almost totally forgot about that. That is That's so cool. Scene. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, just thinking about the uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep and like you're talking about the elves. I kept th- trying to think through like why why add them in? Why bring them to to Helm's Deep like they did? You know, and you mentioned the the conversation between Galadriel and Elrond and that probably prompted the sending of the elves. But if it's not in the book, why why bring them in at all? My one of my only just conjectures or guesses, and I would have to talk to Peter Jackson about this, and that'd probably be the best place to find an answer, would be like, why? And I'm, I would guess that part of it is to show a bit of, for the general moviegoer who's not known any of the story, who would be sitting there wondering, if Middle Earth is so big and there's so many different races, why aren't the elves coming in to, to help out? Why are they just mm-hmm. kind of standing on the sidelines here? Yeah. Why do they just allow you know the fellowship and the men to pass through and kind of get some sage advice from them. And then they just kind of stand back while the battles happen. I'm guessing a lot of people would have those questions. Mm. And I think, I think there's a little bit of a show of unity of all the, all that are good to stand against what is evil a little bit there, you know, the race of men's not alone. It's not just Legolas. It's not just Gimli, but here we have some elves that are willing to, to stand by them. And that's nice. That's nice to see in films. Yeah. And you know it's a it's a little bit of a callback to the you know the the big battle at the end of the second age you know when Sauron was defeated the first time right you know elves and men came together to to defeat the great evil in the world and now they're they're doing it again and I I would not to try to squeeze in another Tolkien tidbit here into this episode no but, put it in um, here we go. The interesting thing with me is like, you know, these elves are like just what they are risking and then the ones that die, what they are sacrificing by coming to the aid of men 
in this battle or this war because you know obviously elves are immortal but they can be killed you know like in battle and then their you know their spirits still linger in you know in valinor there's like the halls of waiting their spirits go where they're basically waiting for the the end of the world but if you if you don't get killed then you can leave middle earth and go to valinor and basically just live in paradise but if you the longer the elves stay in middle earth they just there's a weariness that just kind of grows and grows in them because of all the evil and just the bad stuff that's in the world so the but the three elven ring which were when they were forged they weren't touched by sauron so sauron with his one ring does not have influence over the three elven ring and those three rings are kind of helping keep that weariness of the world at bay and then once the one ring is destroyed those three elven rings will like that keeping at bay will itself start to diminish. And so the weariness of the world for these elves that have been here, like Elrond Gladriel for thousands of years will kind of hasten to the point where like, that's why we see at the very end, you know, like Gladriel and Elrond finally leave middle earth and sail off into the West because the, the power of their elven rings are, are not, doing what they've been doing for them for for so long now so all that to say is like when these elves like haldir and you know from lothlorien who we saw back in the fellowship you know when they come here they're risking a lot by you know putting themselves in harm's way yeah. to help help in this battle for for middle earth so it is even though it's not necessarily totally necessary for the story it certainly does lend itself a little bit of not emotional but just more powerful like you know these guys sure. are they're risking a lot to come to the aid of our our heroes and it's it's no small thing especially because so many of them you know do end up getting killed in that battle yeah yeah well i guess along with everything you're saying then i mean it shows truly one the hope that they have but two the necessity for good to override evil for them at least seeing that like our help is needed and even if it means sacrificing that part of ourselves and our journey as elves, it, it, it's worth it in order to aid this people that we have nothing to do with, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, huge, highly noble. Yeah. But the more you know, the bigger the impact it has. Yeah. And yeah, and to stick with the, the whole hope conversation, you know, there's so many little conversations and lines about it. You know, there's the scene where Legolas and Aragorn are talking about at first in, in Elvish, you know, they're amongst all those, the Rohan, the, like the old men and the kids that are like getting fitted up to, to be a part of this battle when they're obviously not normally soldiers or warriors. And, right. you know, Legolas is talking about how like they're afraid you can see it in their eyes and you know, they're, they won't last the night or they're, you know, they're going to die. And Aragorn says, and I shall die as one of them. Hmm. You know, like even Legolas is like, this is, you know, there's no hope. And that is, of course, before the, the elves show up, you know, to help. And, you know, like I mentioned before, Aragorn has that conversation with that boy. You know, he, he looks at his sword and, and he says, you know, they, they say we won't last in the night. They say there is no hope. And Aragorn says, you know, there is always hope. And it's just that little glimmer of hope that you know, keeps, it's obviously it adds to the tension of the, you know, the movie and just waiting waiting to see what happens in the battle right and even in the battle it feels hopeless you know they oh they, for sure the army keeps you know pushing and pushing and until gandalf shows up 
with the Rohirrim. But, uh, I do want to go back before we get too far to the end there with the kind of the intro to Helm's Deep. You know, when they first show up and you kind of see this obviously massive fortress and they talk about how no you know army has ever penetrated the big stone wall and like they will break on it like water on rocks or whatever the line is that Theoden says and but then it kind of slowly starts to zoom in on that one like drain and or yes. bridge or whatever and then yep. it transitions to Grima's voiceover when he's explaining that to Saruman like it has one weakness you know it's more or less a drain and I can't remember what, you know, he sees Saruman's obviously making that huge bomb. Yeah. And Grima is like, what, what can this do against stone? And he like, he's got the candle there and Saruman just grabs it and like pushes it away. Pulls it away. Yeah. yeah. And then he says like, you know, such a, an assault on Helm's Deep would require, you know, thousands and 10,000. 10, yeah. He's like, but my Lord, there is no such force. And then they go out and see and there, massive there's that huge shot of army. all the yeah yep. that's such a cool cool shot and then after that you know at once they arrive at home's deep you know it's dark then and you just see that the very first shot where you can actually see that force from home's deep and like obviously they're carrying a bunch of torches and stuff but it's dark right it's just such a cool shot when they first show that army just how massive it is and obviously just setting up the the big battle mm-hmm and the big battle, man. The big battle itself. Yeah. All starts with the loose arrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the old man who I think we see earlier, like, getting fitted or, getting, you know, trying yeah. out a sword or something. You know, obviously, again, he's, they're bringing in all these older men and young boys that have never fought or maybe the, the older men did a long time ago, but they're not, you know, as physically capable anymore. And But it's like, we need all hands on deck. Everybody yep. except for the the women and the really young children, which, you know, it's kind of foolish. They got a one back there. Like they probably could have used her too. Oh, heck yeah. Gotta, like, yeah. Keep the women in the caves, like underutilized her, I would say. Very much, very much, which I, yeah. which I think shows a little bit about Theoden in the, and in, in that time, the, the lack of forethought and hope that he had in that setting and all that was coming against him. That wasn't even a thought that came into his mind. He was so overconfident, like, you know, about Helm's Deep, like, no army has ever penetrated. Like, he's like, we're good, we'll be fine. And even at the beginning, you know, before before they are able to to blow up the wall, he's like, is this it? Is this all you can conjure, Saruman? And then, of course, like, it's like, oh, you jinxed it. Thanks a lot, (laughs) bud. Um, Legolas can't even hit the shot to to bring down the guy carrying the torch to blow up the bomb. I mean, Um, yeah. It's hard to bring down an Arakai with arrows. Yeah, but but Theoden's hubris in in that moment was a little bit too much. Well, and that's like immediately where them. it gets blasted. I mean, like from then, like Theoden's just like, "Hey, we're done." Like, yeah, he, he goes. I'm pretty much like, sure. Like, yeah, he's like, <laughs> is that all you have? His hope goes for his confidence level just absolutely tanked. Yeah, he's like, "All right, yep, this is it. We're throwing in the towel." I do recall like, like seeing that against such reckless hate. Yeah, I do recall seeing that scene in the theaters where they they place the bombs, and you're like, okay, what are they doing with those? You know, and obviously you get the hint with the candle over the over the gunpowder at first with with um, worm tongue, but but then I just remember like when that urukai comes running out with that like torch that's got like sparklers on it. Yeah, you know, right? I'm like, what the heck? 
<laughs> what is this even going to do? And then just like, yeah, it's so it's it's slightly comedic. I mean, it is slightly comedic when when Legolas oh. is like trying to take him down with arrows, and they're just yelling at Gimli to take or Legolas to take him down, and it's like, dude, leave the elf alone. He's trying. Yeah. But, and why you know, aren't there any other elves trying to shoot this guy? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, why is it just Legolas? Like, I know, I know you're trying to take care of the wall over here, but look over here. But anyway, yeah. and that Eric guy just like dives in, you know, yeah. like that, that thing is on a mission. He just right. like yeah, a, doesn't even care. For sure. Oh, for sure. And there's probably a bunch of other of the ones that were like standing around it too that also <laughs> got. Yeah, because you know, they're like, well, this is probably where we die. This is this is why we have ten thousand. We can sacrifice yeah. a few here and there to accomplish the larger goals. Yeah, it it is one of those slightly funny things in like any battle scene in any movie when each side, typically like the side of evil, just like brings out more and more things. Because obviously they got those bombs, and then all of a sudden those massive ladders just come out of their their ranks, you know, and they go up on the wall. And it's like. Oh, you guys were carrying those two the whole way? Jeez. Yeah, right. And like, just like, yeah, bring the massive ladders, uh, those bombs. You guys got to like take all this stuff with you too, but yeah, don't, don't worry. It'll get you over the wall. Right. But with those ladders too, there's so many different awesome little fight scenes where like the one ladder is being pushed up onto the wall and then they, they cut the chains or they hit the chains like right as it's like about to get to that midway point and then mm -hmm. it just falls back into the Urukai. Yeah, and then yeah, when, when each one like hits and lands on the wall, and the different fights that take out right then too are always Helm's Deep itself is just like a huge, awesome choreographed battle. Yeah, that's so well done and so well shot. And you get a Wilhelm scream somewhere in there. I always try to find uh, it. I can't remember where it's at. It's somebody. It's it's like up on the top of the wall, and like somebody falls out into like down into the Europe army. And, okay. Uh, yeah, you get the the <laughs> I think I, I think the first thing I remember that from was Star Wars, but yeah, it's obviously been used a lot. And, so uh, yeah, so many places. Yeah, but we got to talk about Legolas. You know, he has his his move where he throws the shield down the stairs and rides it down like a surfboard yep. and is shooting people with arrows along the way down. That's uh, that was pretty awesome. You got to think he's done that before. Probably, yeah. I mean, him being so light on his feet, he's probably surfed on many things. Yeah. But yeah, um, definitely one of those things that like, would that happen? I don't know. I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, the elves, they, they can do stuff, you know? Yeah. They walk on snow. They they can do anything. Right. But There's yeah. the shot kind of going backwards a little bit to before the battle when Aragorn is on his way back from, you know, falling off the cliff and everything. And there's... You know, there's obviously there's the shot where he sees the Urukai army, you know, coming towards Helm's Deep. But there's just the one shot where it's like a super wide shot with him on the horseback. And it's just like circling around him with all the, the mountains in the background. Just an incredible shot. And we talked a lot about these in the first part of Two Towers. You know, any of these shots of Rohan, because of its proximity right there at the southern end of the Misty Mountains, like there's just so many amazing shots of these people riding on horseback with all these giant mountains in the background. And that was just another one that was just, you know, just breathtaking. And I love, again, just how they take full advantage of the landscapes and all the natural beauty of, of New Zealand to make this world. Yeah. They take advantage of it and they build on it. Yeah. You know, like they, they take it as a, as a basis for like the painting and then they create something like Helm's Deep within it. You know, like shot from afar, you can see it in the mountains, but it's, that's mm -hmm. obviously CGI rendered. 
shot there, but then like even taking on the the magnificence and the the size of Helm's Deep and using the studio shots that they did with the what they call them bigotures. Bigotures, yeah. You know, and I think Helm's Deep was a huge reason that they created those bigotures and used that kind of stuff in order to get the cameras in and out and see all those shots so that it wouldn't look so digitally recreated, all of it at least. And I'm sure like the explosion scenes and different stuff within the Helm's Deep battle, how like New Zealand provides such a beautiful landscape that they can add things like this and it just kind of falls in place perfectly mm-hmm. where, where the landscape already is. And I always think it's just so cool when you look back on, on watching that. I would love to be able to like journey to that part of New Zealand where the when they're on their way from Edras. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And they see Helm's Deep from afar. I would love to mm-hmm. just be able to see, like, what were they looking at that wasn't created yet, but, mm-hmm. like, that that piece of the mountain, because I thought that was just so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I am I really want to go back now and watch all the the appendices, you know, mm-hmm. the making of, like, because I've watched a lot of those a long time ago, but I've forgotten so much, and I'd love to go back through it and see just how they pulled off so many of those different things yeah it was really just incredible what they did and then getting getting back to aragorn again what one of the things i think that that really highlighted him for me in this one is when he towards the you know what seemed to be to theodon to be the end of the battle you know when they're just kind of retreating into i don't even what they call it i guess the fortress but when they're back there and theodon's lost Mm -hmm. hope you know and into the keep yeah Oh, what is I'm trying to recall what he says that gets Aragorn to be like, you know, no, hope is not lost. Oh wait, so much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? Yeah. And it doesn't even take much for Aragorn to just go like, you know what? Screw it. Ride out with me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. And Aaron's like, Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Yep. I got it now. <laughs> You're right. Death, death and, glory. and glory. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, This is I, this is gonna be my last stand. Let's let's do it and go Yeah. Out. But then as soon as he says, too, the thing about the horn of Helm Hammerhand will sound in the deep, and Gimli's like, okay, I'll yeah. go blow that thing. <laughs> I love that scene. When, when, he, when like all the rest of the music kind of quiets down, and then just that super low, that massive horn just... Like... Every time, I love it. It's that. beautiful. It is. It's almost, so like a, cool. it's almost like a Zimmer horn. I know. Yeah, that like low brass almost. I would, good. Yeah, Peter Jackson probably went to Howard Shore and like, I need like, give me the deepest horn you got. Yeah. And just like make it deeper. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, such a cool scene when they ride out. Theoden has so many great like little one-liners or lines in this movie. You know, there's the, of course, like right before the battle, like as it just as it starts to rain, you know, and you right. hear like mm-hmm. the the sounds of the rain hitting everybody's armor. And, and he's, you know, he just says, so it begins. And like so many of his lines from this movie have been like memefied on the Internet. That mm-hmm. one being one. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorites is, you know, he says to Aragorn, like, let this be the hour we, where we draw swords together. And there's a meme <laughs> where it, it shows him saying that line. And then the next picture is... Aragorn and they had been holding up <laughs> pictures of like they've literally just drawn drawing swords. swords. <laughs> uh, 
And again, like you can you can take these movies so seriously, but there is still so many comedic parts that you can find in there. Oh, and just absolutely. like there's still I mean, it doesn't make them not great at all, but it's just like there's so much in there. It's just like one great. of my other favorites, it's not Theoden, but when Aragorn first shows up at Helm's Deep and he, you know, Legolas comes up to him, he's like, You're late. You look terrible. That's so and because Aragorn immediately smiles, like he knows that he's just joking. Right. Um, I love that that scene. And then, of course, the Legolas and Gimli on the top of the wall, like, what's happening? What's happening? He's like, you could have picked a better spot. Yeah. (laughs) Shall I describe it to you? Shall I describe it to you? Or would you like me to find you a box? And then Gimli laughs. That's such a good classic little exchange there. Well, and then starts their, their counting. Yes. Yeah. Legolas, two already. I'm on 17. I won't let the point it here. Out doing me. <laughs> Final count: forty-two. Forty-two. 42. Not bad. I myself am sitting pretty on forty-three. <laughs> <laughs> he shoots him. He was 42. twitching. He was twitching because he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. <laughs> yeah, those, oh, those man. two like they have such a good dynamic. They do. They do. They do bring a bit of a relief to it here and there, but it does show a good friendship, which yeah. is really consistent with the themes throughout the movie, or yeah. the, the, the whole story itself. You'll but have yeah, to touch I've... me. <laughs> which, again, is like, that's a pretty interesting light moment for Aragorn, you know, in the middle of the battle. Yeah. There's like, just like, all right. Don't tell the elf. The other line, and I didn't write out the whole quote, and I'm not going to try to remember it, but when Gimli's, or sorry, not Gimli, Theoden, is getting dressed or like, you know, his, his guy is putting the armor on him and he does that whole line, like, where is the horse and the rider? Mm. That whole like voiceover and then, you know, it shows the other stuff going on in the meantime, you know, like clips of like the army marching and stuff. Like, I love that, that part. I think it was somewhat taken from the book, but also shortened for the movie. I think it was longer. Mm. But yeah, it's just another, like, Theoden just has so many, so many good like lines in this one. Is that the one where he asks, is it gambling? Is this, I, I is think this, it is, yeah. Where he says, who am I? Yeah, yeah. He's like, you and are that's kind of, king. Mm-hmm. Follow you order. to whatever end. Mm. It's just such an interesting dynamic in Theoden himself, though, as he continues to go b- between hope and confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely a man. Oh, yeah. Anything else from Helm's Deep that you want to touch on? I mean, if we're if we're gonna finish out Helm's Deep, we're talking about when they storm out of the gates and they just go riding down the ramp, and then they're fighting, and then all of a sudden we have looking to the light on the fifth oh, day, yes. and yeah. then we got the riders coming with Gandalf. Yeah. Again, if you if you had not read the books and you have no idea what's going on, you're gonna wonder when when Gandalf leaves Edoras and he just tells Aragorn that like hidden message of like, hey, look to my coming on the light of the fifth day, and like. What the heck? Where are you going, Gandalf? Yeah. <laughs> we, we need you, man. <laughs> but, I mean, that's kind of consistently what he does, but he just goes off on his own mission. He knows what to do. He knows kind of how to move the chess pieces as he needs to to get them where they need to go, and then goes off and finds Aomer right. and the rest of the riders of Rohan and brings them on down the hill, which is such a... I mean, out of all of the scenes in in the whole Lord of the Rings story, some of the most beautiful are when the riders come on horseback yeah, you know, and just whether they're coming down the hill or or in Return of the King, there's more. But yeah. you got the I mean, just that music coming in, and like that hope coming back. 
and the light bursting over the top and blinding the army and it's just like yeah wow perfect that's so perfect yeah very powerful for sure yeah just when it seemed like hope was lost they come in the nick of time yeah especially the like the light you know obviously it's 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 pretty on the nose there but like it really is just like a light versus darkness oh sure you know like the the dark lord and gandalf is gandalf the white you know and you know that's a yeah that bright light just kind of incapacitating all the the orcs and the urukai and and then they run off into fangorn forest and get devoured or destroyed by by the trees which uh, that was only an extended scene right right Um, because like because in the theatrical version you would have just seen the orcs and urukai running off yeah and have been like oh well i guess they just go off and starve but here you actually really find out like oh no they got devoured yeah trampled by the trees and which which you know i guess that brings us to mary and pippin's part we didn't even talk about this at all so yeah uh, we're not we're not gonna speed through this but they're great conversations with Treebeard and him in the Entmoot talking to the other Ents and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what they're going to do and right. the speed at which they do it. But there's obviously the part of the conversation where Merry and Pippin ask him like what the other trees are doing and is like, Oh, they they've got their own mission right now. Like don't don't worry about it. We've kind of sent them off to what they need to do, which I think ends up being capturing or devouring the Urukai at the end of the battle there, but I'm not one hundred percent on that, but uh, yeah, it hadn't occurred. To I don't know when he sends them off yeah. the the trees. I, I forgot, but now I need to go rewatch it again. Yeah, right. But but yeah, like touching on Mary and Pippin's journey right there, and wondering like I remember you know just watching the movie and watching it now like this part is it is really slow. Obviously, it's in reference to the fact that the Ents have no trouble taking their time and making their decisions and having conversations themselves. But right, you hear you know you you got yeah, but you, you know. They obviously know there's something imperative happening here. Like Mary and Pippin are like, come on now. You yeah. got to make a decision. We need your help. So what are you going to do? We have agreed. Yes. Huh? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. We have agreed that you are not orcs. <laughs> that's it? That's all you've been talking about this whole time? Well, that's good then. <laughs> You're part of this world, aren't you? Like Mary's so good in that scene. Like he's so passionate. He's like, come on, our friends are out there. Like we need, you need to help. And I love, though, that in spite of all that, that it's Pippin's idea Yes. to get yeah. them to turn and go to where he'll, they'll be going past Isengard right. so that Treebeard can actually see what Saruman's doing. And obviously that ends up turning, turning the tide. If we go south, we can slip past Saruman unnoticed. The closer we are to danger, the further we are from harm. It's the last thing he'll expect. Doesn't make sense to me. But then you are very small. Perhaps you're right. The the fool, you know, fool of a took, but mm-hmm. he's very clever he's though. Very idea. clever. Yep. yep. And he's definitely not the smallest. Obviously he grew a little bit when he drank from the water right back then. So Yeah, right. But then at the end he's back to it's back to normal. It's alright though. Um, Obviously, Treebeard listens to him and goes the way that he Pippin wants him to. And then when he finally steps out of the woods and sees, you know, and there's that big breath in by, you know, <gasps> yeah. when he sees Isengard and he realizes like what Saruman has done. Yeah. Many of these are my friends. My A wizard should know better. My business is with Isengard tonight. There is no 
curse in every wish Enfish all the tongues of men For this treachery Yeah, that's that's a great, great scene Just the way they, they just like Absolutely destroy Eisenkart mm-hmm. And make quick work of it You yep. know, they're just kicking and stomping on the orcs And wrecking everything Giant rocks And I love there's the one that They're shooting fiery arrows at it So it catches on fire But then once the dam is broken, he just like dunks his head. Dips in the his water. head. In the, yeah. <laughs> you can't take him down. Right. Yeah, that was a that was a great great moment. It is a, a little bit of a slow burn, like you say. Just from the time that Treebeard is introduced, I'm like, okay, what what are we doing here? Like, we keep going back to these scenes that are are pretty slow, like between Mary and Pippin and Treebeard, yeah. and then you know, but finally, it obviously pays off in a major way at the end. It's uh, it's great. Yeah, I, lo- I love I love seeing the hopelessness on Saruman's face when he realizes what's happening down below. Yeah, and he's just stuck up there in the fortress. Like, well, there goes everything I just created. Yep, all flooded out, and he's stuck in there now. That's right. Serves him Which, right. Yeah, leads to a lot of great scenes at the beginning of Return of the King too. Yeah, extended scenes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Things so, you yeah, wouldn't have been able to enjoy. Tie a bow on. On that story, you know, at the very end, Merry and Pippin find the, like, the storage room with all the yes. food and then the, the pipe weed and... Long uh, bottom leaf. They're living living their best life there in the, and Treebeard smells the... Like, should we offer some to Treebeard? I'm like, oh, I don't think so. Could be a distant relative. It's perfect. One bottle each. Wait. Do you think we should share it with Treebeard? Share it? No. No. Dead plant and all that. Don't think he'd understand. Could be a distant relative. Oh, I get it. Don't be hasty. So many good lines from those two. Yeah. And I'm so glad that they've continued to do more since the movies. I, I think they have a podcast now, too. It's just like, they do, oh, yeah. They do. And it's the so French great. French Onion, yeah. Yep. But I I mean, wrapping that up takes I guess takes us back to how we started this conversation, which takes us back to Frodo and Sam and Faramir and everything going on in Osgiliath. Yes. And the bleakness there, obviously. Right. Which which all of Frodo's journey is bleak, but even the color. It. Yeah. Yeah. You the know, color the color palette of those scenes is just so like gray and it's just and gray. Gloomy yeah. and yeah. So I mean you have them like being captives, but then all of a sudden you have the invasion of the Nazgul over yeah. the city and all of a sudden being enticed by the Witch King with Frodo. Is it not the Witch King? I don't think it was right? the Witch King, just, just one of the Nazgul. Right. Just one of the but regular it, Nazgul. But just him going up the steps into that bridge and like facing off with it mm-hmm. and just being called, you know, by, by Sauron. Yeah. But being saved by Sam. Right. Literally tackled by Sam. Right. But gives us one of the greatest speeches. Oh, yes. in, in the Lord of the Rings, coming from Samwise himself. Yeah. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. Like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. I don't I don't know the whole thing, but yeah, it's such a good... I, I good... think I, I, I memorized it for a class in high school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a speech class, I mean, or an acting class or something like that. But yeah, I remember, I was like, it has to be this one. Yeah. Uh, and I did it with all the crying and everything, and it was great. <laughs> What are we holding on to, Sam? (sighs) 
There's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. Oh, yeah. It's like, there you go. You just defined the story. Way to go, right. Sam. Boom. You just kept it going. He just he just keeps on going. You can't stop Sam. That's right. And and then obviously you see that Faramir observes all of that and decides like I'm gonna let him go. Have yeah. to. But yeah. If, if you let them go, oh, you you said what he said earlier. What does he say about his father or yeah, something? Like, you you know the laws of our country of your father. If you let him, if you let them go, your life is forfeit. Then it is forfeit. <sighs> Way to go, Faramir. You've shown your quality, Faramir. The very highest. Sam has that moment earlier where, you know, first he actually tries to get Frodo to put the ring on just to escape when they're still in those caves. Right. And then and then later, you know, he, he tells Faramir, he's like, do you know why your brother died? He tried to take the ring from Frodo. You know, he finally just kind of snaps at him. And, you know, I think Faramir still doesn't quite fully get it at that point. But yeah, and then he finally, finally gets to that point. Oh, well, what does he, he even says? Like, I think at last we understand each other, Frodo Baggins, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and sends them on their way. But yeah, I mean, those are things, I, I think those are huge things that are totally worth mentioning. I, again, for me, it just highlights so much of Sam. He, you know, he's on mission the whole time, not detracted yeah. by anything, really. The only thing that would not give him hope is if his own best friend even started to give up or turn on him, but, but we'll get to that later, obviously. But right. so much of the character, the high quality of Sam's character is is shown there yeah. with him being willing to speak up on Frodo's behalf, you know, but really to identify like this, these are the things that are good versus evil and call him out. And, and when he sees them. So I was trying to think of the only things that could really drive fear into Sam in these moments. And I, and I think it was uh Gandalf itself, but himself, but oh, yeah. that's about it. Or thinking that's he was going to lose his little box of season. Yes. Yeah. Well, that would be pretty dire. Yeah. He wouldn't have been able to make taters or anything. So, right. But, but yeah. So we Someone obviously you mentioned earlier the turning of Gollum or turning of Smeagol back to the side of Gollum after being yeah. per, in what he perceived as being betrayed by Frodo, right. his master, and and then yeah, I, I just love that when he's leading them out of Uskiliath and they're in those hills and among those you know thorny bushes and everything, and they're walking through him just having the conversation with himself again, yeah. you know, the back and forth between Smeagol and Gollum was just so, again, so well done by Andy Serkis, but really just kind of gives that perfect cliffhanger to this part of the story. No, not really knowing what he's leading them into, but that it's like, he's turned, he's done. Yeah. Yeah. There's no Smeagol coming back here. Right. Yeah. And but, of course, it's, you know, it's a bit of a, cliffhanger you know we could let her do it but we don't if you haven't read the books you don't know what Who it's referring to you know faramir says like they say a great terror lies somewhere like at the past to kirith ungul or something and uh but you know if you haven't read the books like we don't know what he's talking about and uh, mm -hmm. obviously then it is revealed in the, the third movie so yeah it's a good good ending there i and i love i, I right before they show that scene you know they show the scene of like gandalf and some of the other guys after they're you know they've left helms deep you know sar or gandalf says i love his line of like sauron's wrath will be terrible his retribution, retribution swift. swift the battle for helms deep is over the battle for middle earth is about to begin and and then he said all our hope lies in two young hobbits somewhere 
in the wilderness, or I don't remember exactly what he says of that. And then it transitions to show Frodo and Sam and, and mm-hmm. Gollum going through the woods. They have that little conversation about, you know, being in the stories. And yeah, I want to hear more about Sam. No, Mr. Frodo, I was being serious. Shouldn't poke fun. So was I. So was I, Sam. <laughs> Frodo wouldn't have gotten anywhere without Sam. Yeah. How true. And then you get that pan up shot over the mountains to see Mordor, you know, like the the tower Baradur and Mount Doom and the Nazgul flying around and that music that comes on too. Mm. Very mm. haunting. In it is. Uh, but again, highlighting music, like Howard Shore's music, but also the song choices of mm. the producers and whoever chose all the songs. And had, I mean, that was another original song they had written for the movie. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you who sang it, but it's about Gollum. Mm. But just like when you read the lyrics, you're like there's so much in there that's from yeah. the books and the stories and the, what you would know about Gollum's backstory and stuff. But mm-hmm. just such a bleak, hopeless note to end it on, you know. But absolutely. But if this isn't your first time seeing the movies, or if you've read the books before, you know, you know what's coming. Right. But there's still, there's still, still so much to dive into, and just even looking at the overall running time of the extended version of Return of the King. There's a lot packed in there. There's a lot to tackle. Oh, yeah. It's like four hours. Yeah. I was even wondering if that one's going to take three episodes, but I think we can do it. Yeah. At least, yeah, I'll still watch it in two parts, but yeah, we'll see how, how long we go. Next it's a long two parts. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> I was looking at it. I was like, oh, that's going to take a while. But yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, me too. Love it. Same. Love it. We will see yeah. why it was so deserving of Best Picture. Oh, yeah. And so many other Oscars. Yes. I can't wait. Every single one of them. Yep. Well, yeah. Well, more I, too. Yeah. I mean, they should have added won, categories. Probably should have won Best Foreign Film because it was made in New Zealand. Right. You know? And and they, they spoke foreign languages. So. Right. Exactly. They could have won. Well, no, sorry. I can't even make a, bo- a joke about how they could have won Best Short Film because... <laughs> just no no way to justify that for a four hour movie there should be a category of best long really long film yeah <laughs> best documentary because it really happened yeah that would go for the special features best oh, documentary yeah. yeah true those definitely were deserving of some awards i'm sure they got some awards we haven't even heard of but probably yeah but yeah there's there's so much more to talk about but boom there we are all right things ending We're glad you're here with us. Here at the end of this podcast.